her brother, do you have time to talk about Jesus Christ today? Oh, you're dead? Oh, okay. Well, you have yourself a blessed day. Okay, you too. You mother. We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast, where you think before you love. Please feel free to subscribe and listen on Anchor, Audible, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Breakers, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Deezer, or your browser. Be sure to share a link with a colleague, family member, or friend. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is for mature audiences due to the sensitive nature of subject matter. Think before you love is the Romantic Truth Podcast motto. You will not get slapped here, we promise. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. I got an email today that was very humbling. And uh, Erica, if you're listening, I tried to email you back and it bounced back to me. And... uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, the phone number that you sent, the when I called it, it said that the number is no longer in service at this time. So I don't know what's going on. Folks, Erica is 32 years of age. She's been living with her boyfriend for three years down in Torrance, California. She started having headaches. And so she went to her doctor And the doctor gave her a referral to go to an optometrist. So she goes to the optometrist. The optometrist looks at her eyes, see if she needs glasses. And what they did then was referred her to an ophthalmologist. Now it's serious when you get to an ophthalmologist. That means something's really wrong. Optometrist takes care of the glasses vision test, that kind of thing. The ophthalmologist is the one that's the doctor that may have to look at other more serious matters. He diagnosed her with glaucoma at 32. African-American woman. She had an early onset of it. Usually hits African-Americans and Latinos. Latinos are hit around 40 years of age. African-Americans somewhere around in their 50s usually, but not always. In this situation, I tell you what, I'm just going to read the email to you. It would best describe what I'm trying to explain. I'm a 32-year-old African-American woman. My name is Erica. I listen to your show regularly, and I thank you so much for having a platform. I stumbled upon your show years ago and stayed ever since. I have a serious problem that I'm dealing with right now. My boyfriend and I have been together for a considerable amount of time. Anywhere from three years or more. I can't really remember. What I can tell you is this, though. Things came about abruptly with a change in his attitude within the last three weeks. I was having headaches. I went to my doctor. Doctor referred me on to an optometrist. Then I went on to an ophthalmologist, and that's when I found out I had glaucoma. He put me on a regimen of four drops per day that I had to take. 
There were different intervals. He was at the doctor with me, and when he heard this news, his whole attitude changed towards me. He didn't say anything. It was very quiet. I cried a bit because I knew what glaucoma meant. My grandmother had it. My father had it. So I knew that it was not going to be a good deal for me. First thing I noticed, he wouldn't come home anymore for dinner. I thought he was messing around with another woman. I would call him and he would be at work. I was rather paranoid about things. I didn't know whether or not it was something I did, something I said. The first night when he came home from work, after finding out the day prior, I made sure that night I did everything that was against my morals and values in the bedroom to please him. I wanted him to stay. He was an integral part of my life. We've been through hard times together and I thought this would just be another struggle that we would go through. After I finished servicing him that night, he told me to get off of him and go to sleep. I felt less than a woman at that point. I felt like the lowest thing on the planet. I laid on my side of the bed and I really thought about it. I got so desperate in my thinking that I thought the best thing to do is just to go take this IUD out and get pregnant. Even though we both weren't ready for a child, I was under the impression that that would probably be the one thing that would at least strike something in our relationship where we could be together again. Oh my God, it crossed my mind so many times. I called my old BGYN the next morning to schedule an appointment. She knew something was up because we have a very close relationship. When I told her what my intentions were, she looked at me and told me straight up that it wasn't going to work. He's going to leave. I broke down in tears in front of her. I felt so low. I got home before he did from work, and I'd always have beer in the fridge for him. When he got home, I had knocked out a six pack. He then started telling me that I was an alcoholic now because of my condition with my eyes and I need to get over it. Well, I'm writing you now because he's loading up the U-Haul truck with all of his things. Tell me he doesn't want to be with a sick bitch. I've been crying for the last 48 hours. I've literally got on my knees and begged this man to stay. I offered him everything. If he wanted a threesome, I'd be game for that. Anything for this man to stay in my life because he had been such a good man to me all these years. And I begged him and asked him, what did I do? I could fix it. We could go to therapy. I'll go to therapy. You don't have to. I tried everything. God knows I tried. 
I even had my mother, his mother, his dad on the phone. He wouldn't hear it. I'm writing you because this is the end of our relationship today. I know life will go on without him. But I listened to some of the things you talk about when you had glaucoma. How people treated you. The friends you lost. The part of your life you lost. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like for me. I'm really fearful because I don't want to be one of these old women. Alone. Unloved. And as a black woman, it's hard enough. And as a blind black woman, I'm sure it's going to be even tougher. I'm not going to claim blindness just yet. I'm going to see whether these drops will work. But I'm just hoping and praying that this man stays in my life. I will get over it. It's going to take a while. I'm going to be a broken woman for a very long time. I know this but I'm willing to accept it. But it hurts so damn bad right now. I just curl up in a ball in the bed and cry myself to sleep every night. He doesn't touch me anymore. Sometimes he doesn't even bother coming home. I can't even remember the last time we really had sex. After that, my diagnosis, I've had to go and initiate our sexual contact. I had never had anal sex before. I just started having oral sex not too long ago with him. I let him violate me in all kind of ways sexually. My morals and standards, as you talk about, they don't exist anymore. I love this man with all my heart. I pray to God every night that he would come back, have a change of mind, and be with me. I guess now, things weren't meant to be. I will try to get back and contact you when I can. Right now, I'm just not in the frame of mind to talk or do anything else. Erica, Torrance, California. At first, folks, I thought that Erica probably had done something that triggered this. And this is the reason why I wanted to talk to her and find out what was going on. I have a feeling this was brewing in him for a long time, well before this glaucoma situation. To me personally, I think he already has an option. He already has another woman, another out. And this other woman has a hold on this man where he's disregarding everything associated with this relationship. And this is what happens. I had a lady that did that to me once. We went out on a date and her birthday was two weeks uh, later on. Went to a birthday party at a girlfriend's house. We were all giggles, kisses, and hugs. We had had sex all the way up to the birthday. She didn't want to have sex with me that night on her birthday. 
she was telling me, well, you know, I think we need to be a little bit apart for a while because right now I need some time to myself. Red flag number one. I said, okay, so we're breaking up. So no, no, we're not breaking up. I just think tonight, I think we need to give it a rest. What she was doing, she loved bombing me with a whole bunch of sex prior leading up to her birthday. What that was was my goodbye speech from her. After the night of her birthday, not a blip, nothing. No phone calls, no nothing. And what had happened, found out through one of her friends. She had her eye on this guy when she started dating me. And she went for it, full bore. And her friend was telling me about how she was trying to tell her that wasn't the right thing to do. She didn't want to hear it. So she cut that friend off. And that's the reason why that friend contacted me. Now, the interesting thing was this friend got my phone number because where my girl would go and hang out a lot would be at her girlfriend's place, not at her apartment. And sometimes she'll have her call me to tell me to come over because this old girl was there. But here's the thing. Me and her friend became very good friends. No sexual, no relationship or nothing like that. But we just had a heart-to-heart talk about things. And she told me, she said, you're not the only person she threw away. She tossed me to the side like I was a pair of dirty drawers. And they had been friends for over 15 years. Because she was so focused on this man she was going for, she didn't want to hear any negative, any objective. She was going for it. Never found out what happened to her. The last thing I can remember is the friend, which will remain anonymous, called me and told me things are not looking good for her. And that's all she would say. Folks, sometimes what will happen, a person may decide to go and pursue a situation or relationship and they may not even vet the person, put the person through any kind of standards. In all of the stuff that they put you through, they won't put this other person through. This person just slides right into their lives and boom, they give themselves their all to them. Erica, what I would say to you, my dear, is this. You're young. You have a lot to offer. And this is no pep talk, this is reality. Being that you're just starting your drops, you got a long way to go. Those drops could very well be the thing that actually saves your vision. One thing that I would tell you, do not get sidetracked with this bullshit about smoking weed. The only thing weed does, it dulls the pain, but it does nothing to the eye pressure. That's what you have to remember. The eye pressure is your enemy, not the pain. The pain is just a side effect from the eye pressure. 
because if your pressure gets so high that it severs that optic nerve, you're going to see nothing but pitch black. And when I say black, I mean a black you never saw before. Let me tell you something. I went through a, ter- a trebolectomy, two of them. That's what they do to surgery. They stick a needle in your eyeball, and it has scalpels on the end, and they have to perforate holes in the canal so that the fluid can leak out of your eyes so it doesn't build up and increase the pressure. Painful experience. But here's what I will tell you. What else you're dealing with in this situation is the fact that a lot of those people, because I had a friend of mine that had glaucoma as I did, and he went permanently blind. He stayed on the weed, didn't go and take his drops anymore, thought the pain was gone, but his vision was gradually being stolen from him and he couldn't see it until he was black, until he was blacked out as far as his vision. The blackness I'm talking about after my surgery was that I opened my eyes. Now, he only did surgery on one eye at a time. I opened my right eye, which was my worst one. I could see nothing. I went outside, looked up directly at the sun, had to close my left eye because it was blinding. I could not see the sun, nothing, absolutely nothing in broad daylight. And it was 107 degrees that day here in Vegas. That's what it's like when you lose your vision. I was nervous, called my doctor, frantic. Doctor told me, he said, no. He said, what's gonna happen is this. Your eyes have to adjust. You'll still be able to see again. But he said, that's what you would be faced with, that you saw. That's what a blind person sees. Nothing. So Erica, you have a long way to go, my dear. You may not even have to go to a surgery. It just may stop with you taking the drops, but take those drops religiously. Now it's gonna make your vision a little cloudy, but the thing is, it's gonna also help you with the pressure. Now there's another side effect uh, with this that I looked at the JMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. When it comes down to uh, the side effects, your libido is going to go. Expect that, depending on the medication they give you, the drops. And usually they're gonna give you some strong ones in order to lower the pressure. Your pressure should be no more than 20, and that 20 is really kinda high. In my right eye, it was north of 75. In my left eye, it wasn't that much better. I had a very aggressive form of glaucoma. And depending on what types you have, that's what you have to look at. But listen to your doctors. Do what they tell you. Please do. Because I will tell you, you don't want to wind up where you're having to have the trebolectomy. That... Uh, uh, that, yeah, oof, you have no idea how, it's not so, it's more irritating than painful, but that first night, I had the first surgery done, 
they talked about Tylenol. Hell, the hell with Tylenol. I took BC and knocked myself out with BC headache powder. I had to. Because the pain was just throbbing. So, in any case, it's not over, my dear. There's still men out there that will love you, that will be with you, that will embrace you. And you don't have to go through so many desperate measures because I know you're thinking about not only what you probably have gone through, I don't know what that is, you haven't put it on here, prior to him leaving, but here's the thing I will tell you. You have to look out from the standpoint that you now have to start preparing yourself by putting money away and understanding a few things. You may need to go to a therapist just to help you with the adjustment, not only for your relationship, but for you and the changes you're gonna have to go through. Now, I will tell you, in many cases, you're gonna lose friends, coworkers, and people like that that would normally be around you because the first thing that happens, people don't want you to ask them for something. That's the reason why a lot of people are phobic around sick people. This is the reason why your man is probably leaving. So don't take this personally from him. Just set this as an expectation. Because see, what you have to remember is, if someone that close has hurt you, everybody else that's not associated with you on that level doesn't matter. They don't matter. But your future is very bright, young lady. Don't allow yourself to ever think that you're less than because of this. More in a moment, folks. All right, so I have an honest question because I'll be going back and forth with women on this and men. Man, how do y'all honestly feel about a woman approaching you to get to know you, date you, or whatever? Is that a turn off? Is that being too pushy or what? I want to know. Ask it for a friend. This young lady brings up a valid point. And I will tell you, ma'am, you're one of the smartest women out there because most women don't ask questions about men or two men. They're too busy trying to tell men what to do. Now, your answer to this question is simple. Men are very skeptical of women who approach them for one reason and one reason only that dovetails into many other reasons. That one reason is we feel as though something is wrong with her. Now, the analogy that um, a guy gave me when I was in Africa was that when it comes down to selecting a good woman, he says, just like hunting, you only go for the animal that are running away from you. They're the healthy ones. The one that's wandering around and coming towards you is more than likely about ready to die or sick. Now, 
this is the way we judge situations when it comes down to women coming towards us. Now, ladies, let me get something straight here. There's some of you who have the genuine confidence to do this, to introduce yourselves and to break the ice. Nothing's wrong with that. But here's the problem for most men. You get kind of uh, morphed into that group of women who have usually the four problems that men don't want to face with women. The woman who's desperate, who's trying to get someone so desperately that she's literally saying, I'm just going to go for it. Now, this woman's been rejected by other men before in the past for various reasons. And the reason why she's single, it's only obvious. It resonates why she's single. The problem for many of these women is that they don't understand why they're single. Guys won't tell them. They'll sleep with them, use them, abuse them, but not tell them. The next kind of woman is the woman who's looking for a place to stay. Now, she's willing to do everything from licking ass cracks all the way up in order to be with a man. Again, men are very skeptical about being with these type of women. Reason being, you start with them, it's hard to get rid of them. The third type of woman that he's afraid of running into. This is the woman that specifically goes for a man that's not as handsome as she is attractive. And the women do this primarily as a power move, more so than love. In this case, she establishes herself as the dominant one by saying, I chose you. Now you do as I say. And the guy's elated to have someone who's more attractive than he is. And he's going to try to do everything under the sun to keep her. However, the same woman would not approach a man that was of the same level of being attractive as she is. The reason for that is because she's threatened by that. So she wants to have a situation where she can control it a little bit better. The fourth type of woman. This woman is community booty. In other words, everybody and their mom has a piece of her. I mean, her vagina has been around more than a credit card. She's not ashamed of it. She expects men to accept her as she is with her reputation and everything else. And usually if she's really into someone, sleeping together on the first night, first date, that's nothing, it's a breeze. Now, those are the four worst type of women that men worry about when it comes down to women pursuing a man. Let's talk now about you, the confident woman who wants to pursue a man. It's okay to do that, but be engaging. Be very feminine. Talk about things that you have a depth of knowing. That's really crucial. And if you don't know something, say it. 
And if he doesn't know something, help him out with the answer if you know it. The good thing is this. If you come across in a constructive way with a man, you go a long way. Because as men, we're builders. And we like to build things. And guess what? We like to build things in teams. Including relationships. But what you should be going for, ladies, is the foundation of the friendship first. That's where you need to go. Don't try to go for the relationship first. Go for the foundation, the building blocks of the relationship. Because that's what's going to carry you through. That's what's going to make you guys really become more interdependent on each other. Now, other things that are going to happen with this relationship. As you go forward, guess what you have as the woman? You have the bragging rights to say, well, how did you guys meet? Well, I went and made the first move on it. Now, is that a conversation piece in itself? It definitely is, because most of the other women were pursued by the man. Now, women will look at you as being desperate because that's what women like to do. Whenever a woman does something that's kind of proactive, a lot of other women look at that in a critical eye. And the reason why they do this is because they don't want you to mess it up for them. But in actuality, ladies, what you're doing is you're actually doing something that these other women are afraid to do. No, you're not desperate by no stretch when you do this. A confident woman I'm talking about, not someone who has low self-esteem, but a confident woman. She has no shame in doing this. And I tell you another thing too, ladies, with this. With a proactive woman who's confident, a man treats you better and with more respect. And here's the reason why. If you took the initiative to basically start the relationship with him, he looks at it from the standpoint this woman right here, I don't have to worry about her suffering, starving, worrying about her not being able to make it if I'm not there. That takes a big burden off a man. He sees you a self-starter person that has the initiative. As far as he sees it, she got my back. That's what we look for. Tenacity. Not this pseudo-masculinity that some of these women try to project by taking a fist and slapping their inner palm, talking about their boss bitch and all. That means nothing. We're not impressed by that as men. You might impress other women with that, but for men, that's a turnoff. A lot of these women don't realize that. Calling people bitch all the time, that's a turnoff. Nobody want to hear that shit. That confident woman, she'll do it every time. She'll get in there if she knows what she's doing. And she'll be able to get the situation. Now, I will tell you, I've been exposed to a situation one time that I ran into a woman who was 
how can I best say, her self-esteem wasn't that good. My friend and I, we were out at a club one night. He had driven his car, drove mine. And we were checking out the ladies and everything. And these group of women came through the door. Oh, they were fine. And in typical order, the light-skinned one was the lead because these women apparently put her on a pedestal. She was like the spokesperson for the group. And so she beelines over to my friend. Now, I think all men are ugly, including myself. But I know damn well at least the damn pickup truck didn't hit me in the face compared to him. But what did this beautiful, gorgeous, very attractive woman do? went straight for him. Now, here's what went left. She introduced herself and basically ordered him a drink and was really taking care of him. And then she tells me, I think he's more handsome than you, so I chose him over you. As if that was supposed to be a swipe at me, a backhanded compliment. And I asked her, I said, so where are your foot soldiers going to sit? Talking about her girlfriends. And they were like, who are you calling a foot soldier? That kind of thing. Let me tell you what these women did. They sat around this woman as if she was some kind of queen or goddess. She was telling them to go to the bar and get her drinks. And all these women were doing it. And then she goes and tells me, she says, well, I got somebody for you. I said, I don't need anybody. I said, women are coming in here. I got my choice. And she's like, no. And so she sends this one young lady over to me to talk to me at my table. This young lady I felt so sorry for, her self-esteem was so low. She damn near stumbled over the chair because she kept her eyes down on the ground, head down. And with a few finishing touches, she wouldn't have been a bad woman as far as maybe the date. But here was the problem. Her self-esteem was so low when we just even tried to have on a basic conversation. I wasn't interested in She took everything positive and turned it negative from the compliments all the way down. And it was like, I could tell she was uncomfortable. And the other women that were around this one lady, she was basically telling them who to dance with and who not to. You ought to talk to him. You ought to dance with him. Now, my friend's living this moment up with this lady, right? Well, they exchanged numbers. And later on that evening, we got ready to leave. Well, later on that next morning, he tells me, he said, yo, man, he said, she gave me a number and wants me to come over tomorrow. And uh, if you want to tag along, old girl's going to be there talking about the one I sat with. I said, nah, that's all right. You go. I'm done. I'm good. So I went on back to my place. He went on back to his, and then he went over to hers the next morning. 
Well, she cooked him breakfast, gave him a massage, they had sex. And then he told me, he called me up about a few days later, and he said, man, you know, he said, I want to know how you would take this. And I said, what? She told me the reason why she selected me was because she looked better than me, and he and I couldn't do any better. I was like, damn. I said, now, nah, that was a slap in the face. I said, but don't forget what she told me at the table the night you guys met. And he's like, yeah, you know, that crossed my mind, too. Well, he slept it off. A few weeks later, he calls me up. He says, uh, what you doing now? I said, I'm going to the other club. What you doing? Oh, well, I probably might go out. I got to take old girl with me. Well, at this time, I started dating another lady by the name of Natalie. Well, Natalie was fine as hell. And so she met Natalie. Didn't like her at all. She did not like Natalie. She started with the barbs like women do. I wonder if those are real breasts, fake breasts. I wonder if those are real hips or fake hips. And everything Natalie had on it was natural. At that moment, the whole night, this woman obsessed over Natalie, trying to tear her down to Natalie, just was like, she can't help it. She can't help herself. And the sad thing about it, she didn't know what Natalie was as far as ethnicity. Natalie's mother was Cuban. Her father was Panamanian. She was fluent in Spanish. And for the life of her, this woman tried her best to get under Natalie's skin. And Natalie finally told her, she says, "Uh, I understand that, you know, whatever game you're trying to play, you want everybody under your tutelage, but not here. The end of your authority stops with him talking about my friend. She tells my friend straight up in front of us, oh, he doesn't matter. He's going to do what I say anyway. And that did it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. The only thing I remember him saying was, bitch. And then once he said that, everything else sounded like damn alphabet soup. He cut this woman down in such a way, verbally, and it was really messed up. But she provoked it. That what happened, she was in tears. And of course, she had other men up there. Man, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with the girl? And of course, they were going to try to take up for her. And we all explained what was going on. And the guys were like, oh, well, shit. You know, she was there talking shit. That's on her. And we finally saw how vulnerable she was out of all that big talk. Because she was used to cutting people down. But when somebody actually came back and told her how she was, she didn't like that. And once this happened, 
what started to happen afterwards. That little entourage of women that used to always sit there with bated breath, they actually grew a backbone and started leaving her. And eventually my friend left her and she was a mess after that. She tried her best to get back with him, but he wouldn't have her. Because what happened, she got full of herself and she got full of herself based on what these women told her. And ladies, what I'm telling you is a lot of you ladies get the big head based on your girlfriends gaslighting you. And let me tell you something. You need to quit telling these women that are wearing these tight ass dresses and they're overweight that they look good in that dress. Because we sit there as men and we see that fat coming out between the damn spaces between the buttons of the dress. We see the stretch marks, the gut, the panty line sitting up there damn near under her breast itself. And you all sitting up there laughing and snickering at that woman, knowing damn well that woman shouldn't have come out of the house dressed like that. Girl, you look good in that dress. You know you're lying. But that's what you do. And many of you need to cut that shit out because these women, they don't realize how ridiculous they look. Walking around with all that damn makeup on their face. Got to get an orbital sander just to take that shit off. Met a lady one time, she told me she slept in her makeup. Oh, I just position myself where I sleep with my face up and the pillows that I have, they're sunken in so I, I won't go to the left or to the right. And I asked her, I said, so how often do you take that makeup off your face? Oh, when I shower. And I'm saying to myself, next question, how often do you shower? Maybe once every two weeks. She thought that was normal. And I said, okay. I wasn't going to argue with her. Now, here's the thing, folks. A lot of you ladies really mean well, but you need to be honest with your girlfriends too. Tell them the truth about things. Yeah, you need to tell them how fucked up they are at times. Just saying. We're going to talk about a few more things in just a moment. message to all the people with good hearts. Are you ready? We can't save everybody. Folks, uh, we're going to start off here with a sentimental piece. Uh, there's an excerpt of an interview with Phyllis Hyman. And for those of you who don't know, she was one of the women that I fantasized about marrying, believe it or not, Phyllis Hyman, yes, the singer. 
I only had one opportunity to ever be around this woman where we were in the same room. And it was at the Coliseum in Jackson, Mississippi. I think the year was something like 1976. And uh, I think it was 76. No, it was 77. Sorry. And she was performing there with Michael Henderson, Ashford and Simpson, and Natalie Cole. And uh, what I will tell you is this. When she's saying, you know how to love me, that song resonated. But the thing was, I saw an innocence in her just from the way she talked, the way she spoke. And there was a lot of vulnerability. But she was vulnerable in a good way, in an attractive way. And of course, she was a taller woman. So naturally, some guys get intimidated by a woman of a taller size. I personally think it's sexy. I love tall women. Always have. And uh, it was one of those things. I was only, what, 16 at the time or so, 16 or 17. But she was one of my crushes. And some of you wanted to know, who did I have a crush on? Let's start down the list. My first actual crush was on a lady by the name of Linda Johnson. And she was a college student at the time at Jackson State University. Hell, at that time, I think I was still shitting yellow. I don't care. I can't remember. Then there was a Claudia Dantzler, who used to be uh, a J-set with the Jackson State Tigers back in around 72, 73. Beautiful woman. She used to have a red curly afro, and she would always wear a halter top. And Stubble was exposed. She was the prettiest woman I'd ever seen at that time. She drove a uh, royal blue and white uh, vinyl leather top, leather interior of uh, Dodge Challenger. It was the two-door. And the thing was clean. It was nice. And the day I saw her in her whole J-set outfit, she, she looked like Linda Carter and Wonder Woman. I didn't know what to do. Now, my next uh, crush. Believe it or not, it was Barbara Stanwyck on Big Valley. And I know a lot of guys wanted to go for Linda Evans. Linda Evans, I, you know, she was nice. But for some reason, Barbara Stanwyck turned me on. That was weird. Others that I liked. Marianne on Gilligan's Island. Didn't care for Ginger too much. Um, who else? Sheila Frazier. Oh, I can't forget uh, Judy Pace. Pam Greer was cool, but Pam Greer was not at the top of the list at the time. She was nice. 
Wanda, who used to sing with the emotions. Yeah. I was so mad when I found out Philip Bailey and Hurt had a child. But, you know, when you when you're thinking about things like that, it's like you're still young and it's like, damn, why couldn't it have been me? But in any case, folks, those are some good old days with, you know, but I had a weird taste in women. I'll admit that. Because there were some women that I thought were hot and people would look at me like I'd lost my damn mind. It's just weird like that. And many of you have weird crushes like this. People that you're scratching your head just like, really? Her? How? Why? In what lifetime? I don't know, it's kind of weird. I used to think Elizabeth Dole was cute when she was younger. Strange, strange things have happened. But, you know, it's like you'll have those kind of, uh, I don't know, weird crushes. Well, anyway, folks, I'm going to let you hear Phyllis Hyman in her interview talking about... uh, her ride through the industry because she started to realize something that a lot of people realize in the music industry and she was in the midst of it at the time and I think it really impacted her career and not only that I found out later how lonely she was and how she couldn't find love she found a lot of people in her life but a lot of people uh, from what she had said on many other interviews, people had used her, but nobody really loved her. Many of us face that challenge in our everyday lives with people. I can tell you right now, my phone will ring when it comes down to certain people once a year. Once a year, I'll get about in the neighborhood of about 250 phone calls once per year. The rest of the time, the people who contacted me, scattered number of family members, and a lot of advertisers and people trying to talk about the show. And occasionally somebody for a date or two, but that'll be about it. What I'm getting at, folks, you will have a lot of fair-weather friends. You will have a lot of friends that only contact you when when they need you. People will try to break off relationships where you guys really didn't have any closure so that they can come back later and, and resume and act like nothing happened. Hey, wow, long time no hear from. Fuck you, click. That's where it goes. But without further ado, let's get to Mrs. Miss, sorry, Phyllis Hyman. We were talking earlier about the packaging of artists and how they're picking up kids off the street, pretty much. The producers are producing these records. These kids have little or no talent. They look right. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, get a girl, get the hair weave on there and make her lose 30 pounds. 
You got a hit record. Can't sing a lick. Can't sing a note. No, no, How does that make you feel, though, Phyllis, as an artist? I mean, who's worked so hard for so many years, and you are an artist. I mean, you sing. It, can you say this on the air? It pisses me off. I think you can. It makes me big time <laughs> you angry. You just said it. <laughs> it makes me big time angry because of the fact that I have spent so many years developing this talent and working very hard at it. And then I realize sometimes some parts of the industry, they're only interested in quick results, mm -hmm. instant results. They get these artists, and these artists are thrown away afterwards. They think they're, they're on the road to their big break. You hear from them this year, you don't hear from them anymore. That's very that true. They're being used and they're being discarded. Mm -hmm. Most of these girls here get a date every now and then. I don't get that. People don't ask me for a date. I met a guy today, I met a police officer. Oh, he was too cute. He really was cute. And so I had Leo, who works with me, I had him ask the guy, you know, was he married? First question. Mm -hmm. I was hoping he wasn't gay. So the next thing is asked, are you married? <laughs> so he asked him and he said no. And he said, you know, I kind of see somebody. He said, but what would I say to her? I, I, he got all tongue-tied. I figured he didn't have a hard time speaking to me in the last five minutes we were talking. <laughs> the minute I decided I want to date this man, he froze. He's got a pistol, billy club, and a badge. <laughs> he got totally wiped out. He was like, what was happening? What would I say? <laughs> I thought, well, not much. Then if you're going to freeze up like that, I don't think much. I was, I was kind of, and that happens a lot. Songwriters know the kind of music that I do. And we get a nice collection of, of, of things. Um, and I just choose things by the way I feel. I like songs that have stories to them, um, that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to sing about, baby, I love you. Mm -hmm. Don't you love me too? Mm -hmm. You know I love you, baby. Come on, baby. <laughs> I can't really sing that. Nor do I have an easy time singing about love. Hmm. I'm in love. I'll always love you. Oh, we're going to be happy forever. I have a difficult time with that kind of word because that's not true. <laughs> it's a lie. It's not true for me. So um, I don't really like to sing about that very much, although there are a couple songs on the album. There's one tune called I Found Love. Mm -hmm. When I looked into your eyes, there it was. That is such a lie. <laughs> that is such a lie. <sighs> and when I re when they brought the lyric to me, I thought, oh, the melody is wonderful. And what I had to do was reach into my acting chops to pull it off. Uh -huh. Because there was no such thing in my life. I get this question a lot from both men and women about is it okay for a man to only contact a woman and for the woman never to contact him? When it comes to things such as phone calls, voicemails, text messages, is it up to the man to initiate the contact on every level? Some women say yes, some say no. Some say it should be mutual. Here's what I found throughout my dating experience. Older women, women that I would date that would be older, would have a traditional tendency to say, hey, well, what we'll do is you the man, you contact me. Now, I had to break that tradition with many women because 
they thought that that was the way things should go. To the contrary. I was under the impression that it should be reciprocal. And that's the way we set it up. So that was one thing that I got straight with the women that I would date. It would have to be a reciprocal type of exchange. In other words, it's not going to be a situation where I'm always calling you and texting you. And if you're busy or whatever, you don't want to be bothered. What you have to remember, fellas, is that when a woman starts doing this, she will cloak it under tradition. Now, that tradition comes from the olden days, Victorian age, where men would call a woman's house, ask to speak to her, and they were limited to how long they could speak, and the parents would sit there and monitor her phone call. I usually be about five or six minutes or so. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. Those days are over with. And some women will say they want that because they're the women and the man should pursue them. What you have to be mindful of is a lot of these women do this for attention. They're not into you, they're in the attention that you bring to them. A woman that's into you will have a reciprocal relationship. She's going to contact you just like you contact her. You text her, she's expecting to, of course, text you back and vice versa. Nothing's wrong with that. That's supposed to happen. But when you start this power struggle where that person, you text them, they don't text you back two or three, four days. By this time, you got to flatten out your emotions, unless it's an emergency or something like that. Be mindful of excuses. Excuses is something that both men and women use all the time. They're preoccupied with something else. You're an afterthought then. I remember this old saying, out of sight, out of mind, out of season, out of time. And what that meant was, if that person was over you, this was the way that they expressed that they were done. By the length of time, they did not reciprocate. In other words, this is an indirect way of telling you, a passive-aggressive way of telling, of telling you that they're no longer interested in you. They don't want the relationship anymore. You don't have the value you stood with them. Now, here's the thing you also have to look at. The more you try to communicate with her, the desperate you may seem to her. Now, she's loving the attention, but guess what she doesn't want with you? The responsibility of being with you. So you have to understand that that's a form of rejection. And no matter how hard you try to make it where you're not rejected, she views you as being rejected. So therefore, you're put into a position where you're not really respected or even cherished. You're viewed upon as nothing more than just somebody who's thirsty, as they would say. Here's the thing you have to remember. You have a lot of women that are put on pedestals falsely. They get false praise a lot for things that 
normal women do on a regular basis. I have two kids to take care of, as if other women don't have two kids to take care of in a tougher situation than they have. So what happens a lot of times, we will go and we will praise them, giving them undue praise for something that's very standard. And they take it to heart. They look at it from the standpoint that it's a major accomplishment because they're being acknowledged for this. And a lot of people, a lot of women especially, don't recognize this as undue praise. Patronizing is what it is, gaslighting. And they have this false sense of achievement or accomplishment. But in actuality, what it comes down to is this person is just doing this in order to try to get closer to you. Even though that woman may not even have an interest in him. So he's trying to patronize his way into her life, into her good graces, false compliments, things of that nature. Now, the sad thing is this. When you're in a relationship and it becomes a power struggle, the two of you put yourselves at a disadvantage. Because the problem is the weaker party in that situation actually has the strength. Because what happens, the person who is in power becomes overconfident, usually. And the weaker party is easier to be manipulated by outside parties. We see this a lot when we see the dynamic of the dominant man in the relationship telling the wife or girlfriend what to do all the time and she doesn't have a voice, she feels disenfranchised. Those are the women that used to come to me 90% of the time to sit and talk about their issues. But it was more than talking they wanted to do. They wanted the affection. They wanted the love. They wanted the intimacy. And they made no bones about it. Especially those women that got to a point where the husband was no longer, a boyfriend was no longer wanting to be with them sexually. And the women would say something like, I haven't been laid in five years. I haven't been laid in eight years. I never had an orgasm in my marriage. I've heard it all. But if I was a dog, oh, I could have pursued every opportunity. But I chose not to. Because these women were dealing with problems. They weren't emotionally available for me. Physically available, yes. But emotionally, no, they weren't. And this is what you have to think about. A lot of these people that are going on Tinder and these hookups, they're physically available. Emotionally, most of them are fucked up. They don't want to get in a relationship. That's the reason why they'll just let their body go through the function of having sex. Because they don't want to engage their logical mind. They just want to feel good. If you really think about it, dopamine is released. When people get high, dopamine is released, right? It makes you feel good. Well, what else makes you feel good? Getting drunk, getting high, and having sex. Because in all of those instances, you don't have to engage your logic. So therefore, 
it's like a vacation from yourself, from the situation you're dealing with. And that's what these people are doing. Even with affairs, that's what many of them do to make themselves feel better. They may go on a shopping spree because the one thing they don't want to do, this is the mechanism that many of them use in order to avoid depression, to avoid sadness. They come up with these methods in order to make themselves feel that much better about themselves to go through another day. Instead of having to deal with the situation, it's a band-aid. So instead of them going to the doctor and getting a prescription, nah, that's too complicated. Let me go and just go to Walgreens and buy a whole bunch of band-aids and then hope the problem goes away. That's the way they approach life. Now, sadly, many of these people who take this approach, they do it in a way of trying to point the finger at other people. They want to deflect a lot. And it's not uncommon for them to deflect on other people. So take, for instance, you sleep with a woman you met on Tinder. She contacts you back four weeks later and says she's pregnant. Now, what happens with most guys when this occurs? You don't know this woman. You're going to probably try to deny it. Your logical mind is kicking in. Physically, when your emotional hormones and everything were kicking in, you didn't care. You just wanted that ass. And now that you have the responsibility associated with tapping that ass, now all of a sudden, you're coming back. It's just like an alcoholic that sobers up after drinking. Well, hell... You know, how are they going to take my license? I wasn't that drunk. It's the same approach they will say with the woman. How could she get pregnant? We only had sex one time. It's the same parallel. Now, another issue comes down to when this person is still emotionally unavailable and they choose to go on with the relationship. Anyway, dogs are having a fight over their union contract. And what happens, they get to a point where they're like, well, let me get into this relationship because after all, this is probably the last ship in the harbor. In other words, they've had their fun, but the person they chose to be in a relationship with is not really the person that they want or even someone they vetted. They're just with that person out of convenience. So there's a lack of enthusiasm for the most part. And there's a situation where they're just going along with it because it's convenient. Now, what happens in situations like these? Everything is mediocre. They do enough to stay in a relationship, not enough for it to go forward. It's something to do, it's STD. And so they'll be with this person until something better comes along. And trust me, they're putting the feelers out there for something better. And meanwhile, that party, that other party in the relationship is trying their hardest to make it work and to keep it going. And this person has not put forth any effort because they know they have a better deal, or at least they believe they have a better deal with someone else. They just haven't come around yet. And as soon as that opportunity hits, they're out of there. You find this a lot. 
they're just looking for a comfort tool with a partner. You may see these relationships manifest in friends with benefits, which is most common, because in that way they don't have the guilt of having sex with someone they don't know. It's convenient. Usually the person that they're having sex with, the FWB partner, is somebody they would never consider for a full-blown relationship, maybe because that person knows too much about them, which is usually the case, or maybe they don't see that person as boyfriend or girlfriend material. <clears throat> now, the downside to this is a lot of FWB situations send mixed messages. person might set up rules in the beginning where we're not doing this and not doing that, and then break all the rules. And then when they get too close to each other, where they're actually starting to have feelings for each other, they break it off. And the only reason why that happens is because they view someone committing to them as a weakness. It's not a strength as they see it. And so they push that person away. Now, it's not uncommon for a person in an FWB relationship to venture out and get with someone else. Now, that new person that they're with, they will start dating them. But before they actually get a commitment and start having sex with them, they will fall back on the FWB partner and maybe not even tell the FWB partner that they're having sex with the new person. That only comes about usually with women, especially when they are ready to make that commitment. And usually it begins when they start sleeping with the guy the first time. They'll hold off on the FWB partner for sex in order to go through that, that period of cleansing themselves before they go on. Now, fellas, you have to understand Women go through this period where they cleanse themselves, meaning that they may have had sex with you in the beginning in a relationship. When the relationship's about to be terminated or over, the first thing that goes is to intimacy. That's the first thing. Communications is the last thing to go. They may still, you know, go out with you to a dinner or something of that sort. What that comes down to is that's your departing meal. That's the last supper, so to speak. And when they leave you, they're going to leave you by severing the communications. Now, a lot of times what women will do in these situations, if they're not really sure about where they're going with the guy, they're going to leave it an open-ended relationship. In other words, she's going to water down the relationship to being friends. She's going to try to clean it up where you guys are no longer having sex. And so, therefore, she's trying to restructure the friendship. Now, most women know when they sleep with a man that it's hard to unwind that clock. But there are some women who think that it's okay that the man just supposed to automatically snap out of it and be this platonic friend. Now, the danger for many people is that when that woman goes into that new relationship with the guy and she's sleeping with them, and things are going pretty well in the initial stages, and then 90 days in, she hits a snafu, they break up. Now, what happens? She has a choice. She can go out and find a new guy to sleep with when she has that urge, when she's horny, because she's going to get tired of using vibrators, dildos, and fingers. Or she may decide, or even go into the gym and exhausting herself. Or she may call up the FWB guy 
and try to resume things. But she's going to always remind him, yeah, this is just something that we're going to do. We're just going to kick it. Yeah, don't get serious with me. Now, after this is done over a period of time, take for instance, she's dated five guys and none of them panned out. And then now she's coming back to the FWB guy. Well, he's not looking at her anymore as somebody that he can respect. At this point, she's just going to be a piece of ass that he dogs out. In some cases, she may not be able to establish a relationship with someone else, and he may go on and establish one with another woman. And she may take that as an offense because she wants him to have access to her when she wants him to have access. And so therefore, she'll still try to sleep with him while he's with this other woman because in many ways that helps her lift her self-esteem. She got rejected or the relationship didn't work with the other guys, but damn it, I'm not gonna be rejected by everybody. I'm gonna go back to this old guy that I was with the FWB relationship with and I'm gonna prove that I can still get somebody. So I'm gonna take him away from this other woman or else I'm going to be a part of their relationship by making sure that he sleeps with me. When it gets to this level, fellas, she's desperate. No matter how pretty she is, an insecure woman can be the most beautiful woman in the world. And what I found was that a lot of beautiful women are insecure. See, a lot of less attractive women, they're a lot more grounded a lot of times. A lot of things are not given to them. Guys are not buying them drinks at the bar as much. Guys don't put them on the red carpet. So these women are accustomed to having to do things for themselves. And they're cool with that because their expectations are lowered for men. Ladies, you wonder why a lot of these guys go with the most unattractive women? It's because they get the best mileage in a relationship from them a lot of times. And actually, it's far beyond sex. The woman could probably have a good conversation with him because not too many guys talk to her and she's had plenty of time to think. And not only that, even though she may be average physically, she knows what it takes to keep a man because she's had many beautiful girlfriends that lost men and she observed why they lost them. And she's probably saying to herself, well, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't let that happen. So she became a student. And when she gets a good man, don't let him be handsome. A lot of you ladies, what do you say? How the hell did she get him? She's a good student. That's how. Now, when it comes to men and FWBs, and I know we went from one thing to the other. What we have to remember with men and friends with benefits relationships, for the most part, ladies, we don't take them seriously. We know at any time you're going to find a new guy and that guy's going to wow you and you're off to the races with him. One thing, you're in demand. So he's just with you because you chose him because you said he's the safer bet to have sex with for whatever reason and therefore it's less complicated to be with him. But he understands that he only serves one purpose with you and that's to bed you. When I was the 12 o'clock guy years ago, that was 
all I did. There were no expectations. If she knew she came over after eight o'clock, it was gonna be sex. She knew that when she came over, I didn't want to hear about her problems. If she was trying to get in a relationship or she was taking a hiatus from one or she was in one where she wasn't getting along, that wasn't my problem. So it was like an oasis, a vacation problem for her. And then when she left, she took her problems with her. But the one thing I was not going to do was hold my life up for a woman like that. That was the thing. If it was convenient for her to be in my schedule, yes. But as far as just because she had a vagina and wanted to come over and have sex, that wasn't good enough. Because there was another woman that had more value to me and more substance. And I prioritized her over the woman that just wanted to have sex. But see, that's the problem with most men. They prioritize the woman that wants to have sex over the other woman that have substance and sex. You gotta have the combination of both. Some guys get the woman who has substance but hates sex. That's not a good deal. That is not a good deal because then that becomes like this special occasion. And once she starts doing that and putting this emphasis on sex as being like the cat's meow, you really have to watch that, guys, because she'll use that very same thing against you through your relationship all the way through you get married. Like the one gentleman that wrote me from Niagara Falls, uh, New York. Everything went well in his marriage, well in his relationship until they got married. After they got married, she quit doing oral sex, didn't want anal sex anymore, and it came down to vaginal sex once every other week. And that was it. And he dealt with that for five years before he divorced her. And now she wants to come back in his life after she had remarried and got herself in a bad situation with the guy that she was with. And he's debating whether or not he wants to take her back or not. And I told him I wouldn't. Because you already saw what was going on and nine times out of 10, he's run into the same problem with her. So why would you take her back? What has she done to change or improve herself? Where she can stick by what she starts. Inconsistency is one of the biggest threats to a relationship. Because when a person's inconsistent, it shakes the very core of the other person's confidence in that individual. And when that happens, do you really want to trust that person? Are you really comfortable with them? Of course not. But these are some of the things we examine when it comes down to relationships in general. I would tell you, usually, if you're with someone who only wants to hook up, that relationship you're gonna have with that person is gonna be very empty. Outside of the sexual gratification, there is nothing there. It's a hollow situation. You don't know this person that well. You're just meeting because you wanna just get this tension out of your body. And then after you've done that, you've gone on. It's like going to a fast food restaurant. You go, you eat the food, after you eat the food, you don't hang around and talk to the staff or anybody like that, do you? No, you don't. You eat the food and you leave. Well, it's the same way with the hookup. And then you may never hear from that person again for the rest of your life. Now, 
if the person's addictive, because there are some people that have addictive personalities, and they wind up with a person, they have sex with that person, and it's good, and then they want to have it again and again and again. If you have two people with this addictive personality, you'll run into situations where both of them will will risk being caught. So if the woman's in a relationship, the guy's in a relationship, and they have to be together, they become very reckless to be together. And once that happens, they have to weigh what they actually have together versus what they have apart as far as the relationships they have. They may have substance in their relationships, but the dynamic of that sexual arousal may be missing, and that's the nexus to bring them together. And so for that, that nexus, that sex, will cause them to do these things, to risk marriages and relationships. Now, another thing that I get a lot of times as far as criticism, and that is, and I'm not making myself a victim here, folks, by no stretch, but that is, everything leads back to sex. One lady wrote, everything leads back to sex. To a large degree, yes, because that's the closest two human beings can be to express their emotions and their feelings for each other. You see, all these people that try to play around with it, um, they try to, you know, have it repressed or have it something you long for, that kind of thing. They're putting too much emphasis on it. And the one thing that I will tell you, both men and women, especially you guys, do not let a woman emphasize sex so much and yet keep it so far away from you that you have to go and do all these tricks, hoops, and ladders in order to get to her. It is a carnal need, just like a man has, a woman has the same need. The sad thing about it, a lot of you guys will go through these situations and be put through a whole lot of hell where the guy who actually gets between her legs didn't have to lift one finger or do one thing. That was one of the things that was a benefit to me as a 12 o'clock guy. You were the guy that basically the woman didn't really seek or go after because her expectations were he would never want a relationship with me, but we could have sex. I know him, I like him, but we will never go there as far as anything serious. And with this, what you would get as 12 o'clock guy is the woman without the problems. You get the sex without the problems. Because you don't want to hear any of her bullshit. And the reason why you don't want to hear it is because of one thing. She had an opportunity to be with you at some point for a relationship. And she decided to bypass you for the 9 o'clock guy, the guy that was successful, that she really wanted. But she realizes that all that glitters is not gold. And she didn't want to sever the ties with you. So she comes back with a tail between her legs. And therefore, she's gratified. Now, she could envision herself with you. But she doesn't have the confidence to pursue it. Because she would look like a hypocrite by trying to have a relationship with you now until she turned you down. This is a different position from the 3 o'clock guy. Why? 12 o'clock guy doesn't give a damn. She can get hit by a bus as soon as she walks out the door. He wouldn't care. 
the three o'clock guy, the guy that's going to be so attentive and do all these things and lay down for and buy all these things for, he's trying too hard. That's the reason why he'll never get with her. She doesn't take him seriously. The six o'clock guy, the guy, the party guy, she can't take him seriously because he's always trying to wow her with material things. He's always trying to entertain her. And that's what she sees him as, as entertainment. So the three o'clock guy is the chump. He's the gopher. The six o'clock guy is the entertainer. The nine o'clock guy is the primetime guy, the guy she's serious about, who has a catalyst in his future, whether it's law school, whether it's the NFL, whether he's doing something really big, that's gonna really make a change in her life. 12 o'clock guy, she didn't expect anything out of. Who are the common 12 o'clock guys? In the hood, it's the thug. He doesn't have to do shit. Only thing he has to do is act like Tupac and he can get whatever he wants. That's it. And these guys know that. That's the reason why they play that role. The other 12 o'clock guy doesn't have to do any of that shit. He could just be himself. And see, to her, it's erotic because it's a challenge because every time she's with him and intimate with him, she's trying to make him want her. And she's pouring on that sex just like it's rich chocolate. because that's what she desires. He's not chasing her. He's not calling her, asking her where she is, like the three o'clock guy, the six o'clock guy would. In some cases, even a nine o'clock guy. So she'll leave and when she comes back, everything's cool. She don't have to do any explaining to him. And this is what she likes about it the most. Now, there are some women that just don't get it. And the way they feel as though they can, the only way they can get a man is to have him move in with her. And fellas, this is the worst type of situation to find yourselves in. She'll be with you for maybe, we'll say 30 to 90 days max. And she's already talking about you moving in with her. Now, remember one thing, when a woman comes to you that quickly about move-in arrangements, that means she's already done this before. She's comfortable with it. Most women are very reluctant. Most women will say, hell no. But these women do this on a cyclical basis because what happens, they don't know what packaging they're opening up. So they'll move these guys in, they'll start having sex with them, and then after that, they'll try to flatten the relationship out to where he's more of a roommate and he's helping pay the rent. Fellas, avoid this. Don't move in with her. Avoid this. Let the simps move in with her because she's accustomed to being used. And unless you want to play in that game and deal with all the other guys that used to live with her that's going to come back and bang on the door and complain and get upset, she's done this before. She has a track record of this. Don't put yourself in that situation. It could be baby daddy that's knocking on the door. It could be some dude she slept with in the apartment complex or the house. It could be a whole bunch of things you don't know. And you want to be careful about being seen with her as well. Because it's a good possibility. A guy may pick a fight with you. You don't even know who the hell he is or what's going on. It could very well be because she has triggered it because she's been around so much. 
The reason why many women do not disclose the number of sexual partners they've been with, I've had many female friends that have, but a lot of them don't because they don't want to be perceived as a whore because that's a label that a lot of men will put on women. And women are very tough on each other about sexual partners. Women always usually lie and say it's a lower number. Oh, I was only with three or five guys throughout my lifetime. Knowing damn well, I remember one lady in particular, we were at the club one night and she was talking to a friend of mine and asking him, she said, are you a player? He says, nah, she said, how many women you been with? He said, about 20 or 30. She said, you lying? And then he asked her, he said, how many men you been? I've been with only three men. And I laughed and she looked at me and she was like, why are you laughing? Because I knew damn well of at least 12 men she had been with in that same establishment. And of course the dude looked at me and he started laughing. He said, yeah, right. He said, you probably right. Because we knew. So we're not stupid. That makes you feel good, ladies, to say that. <laughs> we look beyond the scope of that. And the way we do this is by observing the way you behave with us. Because there are certain cues that you give us that you don't realize that you've done this before. And for this reason, I will answer the last question. One of the questions that one of the ladies asked about, wrote in about, Is there anything wrong with a woman who's had a lot of sexual partners from a man's perspective? My answer is no, because we already understand that most women will lie about that. And we take that into consideration. What are we looking for? We're looking for infections. We're looking for any obvious thing that may give us a clue that you may be sick. That's the one thing we look for, your health. If we see you taking antibiotics and talking about you, you know, won't be able to have any wine or something like that. And we kind of have an idea, especially if we know what medication you're taking. We observe it on things like that. other things too when a woman avoids having sex with us for a very long time two things we think about one she probably was hurt in a past relationship and she wants to take some time out cleanse her mind body that kind of thing we understand that then there's some who are doing this because they're still fucking their friends with benefits partner and they haven't ended that yet so they still have to go through that period of getting checked out, making sure they're ready for the next guy. We also get that too. You have some women that don't mind sleeping with several men at one time. Just like you have guys who do that with women. Like the one guy that bet the $100 that night that he was going to sleep with three women with no condom and then go back and sleep with his wife that night and have her do oral. Well, now, we thought that, you know, he said he did it, went on and 
paid him $100. All of us pitched in, paid him $100. And we thought, man, you know, he could have lied to us about everything. Well, there was only one problem. When they eventually got a divorce, part of the reason for the divorce was that she had caught gonorrhea in her mouth thanks to him. But he did it on a bet, bragging about it. It was sad. But you have some people that just don't care. What I want you to get out of this particular segment, if nothing else, folks, is this. Be very, very careful about who you're with and the purpose for you being with them. Is it only sex? If it is, don't get emotionally involved. Leave your emotions at home when you're with this person. Have your sex, and after that, pick your emotions up after you get in your car and go from the hotel or wherever you're going. That's all it is. It's empty. If you got feelings for someone, let them know. Don't play around, don't play games, because a lot of times you're gonna lose out on that person. Let them know up front how you feel. Let them know what it's gonna take for the two of you to be together. And ladies, please don't hold out sex as some sort of prize at the end of the rainbow, because let me tell you something. What that does for a man it gives him the incentive just to sleep with you because now you're emphasizing, oh, well, we're not going to have sex for X number of weeks or months or whatever. Oh, that's not until about next year sometime. Because, see, men have been led on by women like that. And they waited. They did the 90-day rule and all the rest of that shit. Nothing ever materialized from it. Don't put yourself in that predicament, fellas. If she's going to use sex as a pawn, find your woman that doesn't have that as a stick in her ass. Find a woman who understand and acknowledge those needs as a human need. You'll find it much easier to deal with her. Much easier to have a relationship with her. And guess what she probably won't do to you? Put that out as a measuring stick. Honey, if you wash my car, I'll give you a blowjob. That kind of dumb shit. I'm telling you. Hopefully this will help you. Take the tools as you will. And if this is of no concern to you, hey, I do thank you for listening. But like I said before, I'm not here to try to persuade or convince anyone. I want the best for you because I didn't have anyone putting something out to give the best for me when I was out there for 30 years on the dating scene. This is just to help you folks. Take care. Thank you for listening. Ladies, if you ever happen to go to your OBGYN and this type of doctor comes into the room, don't second guess. Don't think about it. 
make sure you're wearing sneakers so you can run the hell out of there and get into a real doctor. Oh my goodness. Hey. You hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, they, had, they had gave me, they had told me the history and everything. They wanted me to, they wanted me to come on, come get you right. So anyway, my, my, I'm my name is Dr. Harry. First day him, first day him, but I got my home, own office. So this your first day here? First day him, I got my home, own office in Atlanta, home building. Anyway, look, what? what? So this is not your first pass me, is it? Hey, hell no, nah, I've been doing pass by my damn life. I, I done seen all kind of, I done seen all kind of a job. I believe. A whole lot of, anyway, what, 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 what you come for there? Pass me, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm get my yearly pass me here. Right, take a look, take a look at it, make sure you. Woo! What's wrong? Girl? What? They were done, they were done. I know you ain't about to put no air freshener down there. I put a little bit down there, golly. You know what? This, I know I should ask for a woman, dog. I know I should ask for a woman, dog. Well, that thing do. What that thing? Why do? I see you got a heartbeat. I'm not wise, sir. See, you ain't wise with that damn thing. Why? You know, you need to start being professional. Can you be quiet. I'm trying to see who got a heartbeat. Happy. You got a heartbeat. That thing got a heartbeat. When last time you had sex? Two nights ago. Two one in the morning. It was two nights ago, so I know when the last time I had sex. Oh, I don't oh, need you to oh, tell oh. me. Let me see right here. You feel that? Sir. Can you feel it? Yeah, I feel it, but do you got no gloves? Lady, look, look out of me. Ain't nobody had no gloves on down here. Sir. Ain't nobody had no gloves. They were him like, hold on. You are not about to put your fingers up in me without no hold gloves on. Be quiet, on. be quiet. Can you feel that? Feel See, weird. this is how people get infections and stuff like that. What are you doing? You know what? This is so unprofessional. I need you to be quiet. Okay. That's all right. That's all right. It's, it's, all, it's all right. It's all right. Do no, you um, do this all the time? Yeah, they were him going to feel kind of, um. What? Here, I need you to hold, hold your bro. I know oh, you might. Hold, hold your damn, bro. You is not putting it up in me. I'm not holding nothing. Now, yeah, I'm sir, trying to, look, we got to. Sir, um, don't play with me. Alright, you said last time you had sex with? Two nights ago, I said. Yo, yo, who, 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 who have you had sex with? They, they don't throw all kinds of stuff up down there. What you mean? They don't, they they don't, don't, yo, they don't, they don't throw up. It's not hanging don't, out or something? She's lying. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry, didn't I tell you I put your hands in me no more if you ain't got no glue? Yeah, my whole arm in there. You, you don't feel it? No, you don't I don't feel it. it. I don't hey, feel I'm, it. I'm, I'm about to write you some prescription out. For what? I'm about to write you some damn prescription out. You know, they so I'm about to write, write this prescription out for, um, yeah, they're, 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 they're gonna need tight okay, Anybody you have sex with now? I'm not lose down there, no sir. Anybody I'm not you have lose. sex with, they ain't gonna feel nothing. They're gonna be a waste of damn time. They gonna what you mean they ain't gonna feel nothing? This right here gonna be over with. Oh, you, you, I'm you gonna do it within the summer couple of nights ago. I know that much. You put on, I'm not going here. I'm gonna write your prescription out. Prescription yeah, for I'm, what? We gotta see you. We gotta see you. We gotta fly you to Birmingham or somewhere. We might fly you to Birmingham. We might fly you to Birmingham or somewhere. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services.
For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.